Well, good morning. I've been sitting up front here where I can't see anybody except the people that are up on the stage. So now it's good to look around the audience and see who is here. Okay. So uh, I see more people, their preference is to sit on this side, I guess, than this side. That's kind of interesting to me, but that's okay. Um, when you do your outreach and so forth, maybe you can invite them to sit on this side too, huh? Okay, I'm being bad. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I thought, you know, my name's in the bulletin, and uh, I don't know if your pastor said anything about who I am or where I'm from or anything. Um, I grew up in the state of Ohio, and I know that's, that's been a dangerous thing to say if you're a football fan because, you know, Ohio State was uh, the team I rooted for as I was, was growing up. Um, however, Lynn Swan, who came from Ohio State, did play for Steelers in Pennsylvania. Um, my first pastor was in Michigan. Um, I pastored there for 18 years and then moved to uh, Pennsylvania in 94. Uh, pastored at the Fairland Brethren in Christ Church. Uh, by the way, that first church was Moortown Brethren in Christ, up in the Thumb area of Michigan, if you know how the Michigan's laid out. Anyways, uh, over in Cleona, I was there 14 years, and then in 2008, uh, moved over here closer uh, and uh, became pastor of the congregation at Messiah Village. And I was there for 14 years. Uh, just retired from there on July 31, uh, just a couple months ago, okay? And so this is actually my first time to do a pulpit supply situation. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, very interesting. Oh, i tell you a little bit about my, my pastoral life. I am married, I have four children, and I have 12 grandchildren. Uh, that 12th one arrived last December. Uh, in ages from, well, he'll soon be a year, up to uh, 12 years old. So, uh, yeah, a little bit about myself in terms of a family. I know some of you here have grandchildren, and some of you here are, are just starting your, your family. Um, your pastor shared with me that you were going through the uh, core values of the Brethren of Christ. There's a book on that, Focusing Our Faith. It talks about 10 core values. And he said, I could do that, or else I could do something uh, as to the Lord's leading. And I thought, well, I'm sure your pastor, in terms of how he's going through these, has a particular flavor and way that he's presenting them. And so I thought, I might do something so different, I don't know. Uh, I'll just do something in terms of what I've done more recently. As I knew I was going to be retiring from Messiah Village, I thought to myself, what subject or area would I talk about as my last, uh, I see that the slide is up, so we've started, correct? Yes. Um, and I thought the Lord's Prayer is what came to me. And so I did a series of uh, six messages on that particular prayer. And uh, let, me, let me read for you from Matthew chapter six. Jesus said, when you pray, verse five is where I'm starting, you're not to be as the hypocrites, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners, nor to be seen by men. 
I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, wherever. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to focus on the very beginning of that prayer. The words are Father. The first phrase of the prayer is our Father who art in heaven. Now, as I thought and, and, and prayed the whole idea of how Jesus begins his prayer is so different from what you would find in the Old Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, the most familiar way to address God was to call him Lord God. In fact, I'll, I'll put up uh, another um, phrase, Lord God, and you'll find in the uh, Old Testament, that it's used 424 times, okay? And in the first, well, the second chapter of Genesis, it's used 11 times. It was the most common way to refer to God. They didn't refer to him as their Heavenly Father, but rather Lord God. And so, for example, I uh, put up a couple of verses from chapter 2. The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. The Lord God planted a garden in the east. The Lord God caused to grow every tree that's pleasing to sight and for food. That's how God was referred to, okay? In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 18, you'll find King David praying a very lengthy prayer. And in that prayer, he begins by using the words, O Lord God. And in fact, as you move through the prayer, he addresses God many times as Lord God this, Lord God that. I, as I think about how we pray, how do we start? Um, I was thinking it, 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 when I pray at our noon meal, I generally start out, I think Heavenly Father. <laughs> we thank you uh, for this meal and some other things in, ter in terms of, of the day. And uh, how do we pray? Well, that was the most common way that God was addressed. In fact, I look at the dedication of the temple by King Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and he begins it, O Lord, God of Israel. So that was the way they did. So Jesus uses the term Father, our Father, okay? Now, you could say, well, he would have started out my Father because he was born the Virgin Mary, and to say, and he often refers to God as his father. 
Absolutely so in the New Testament. But he doesn't use that. He uses our Father. Our Father. So the disciples, they weren't born of the Virgin Mary. So why does he use this particular way to begin this most important prayer when he taught us how we should pray? Why does he use that? Well, let's go to the next slide. The word Father in Jewish thinking refers to the one who begat you, okay? My father, my mother, they came together after being married and I was begat, my genealogy is by my, my parents. And of course, that's generally how it was thought of in Jewish thinking, that in the genealogy, your parents begat you. That's why you would call him father, your dad father. So you find that it's also used in terms of nationhood. Um, Moses, or rather God said to Moses at the burning bush, go to Pharaoh, Exodus 4.22, and say, the Lord says, Israel is my son, okay? My firstborn. So I said, let my son go that he may serve me. In other words, God is saying, this word of begetting refers not just to human families, but also to the family of Israel. God begat them, okay? In Jewish thinking, it has the idea of begetting. And of course, that happened through, of course, Abraham and Sarah. Now, that whole story is very interesting because she doesn't have a child until she's how old? Age 90, and he is a hundred. In fact, I often read that, and you know, and God said this, and it says that Abraham laughed. <laughs> Eventually, she would laugh too when those three men came to visit them and said, another year, your wife's gonna have a baby. And she was in the kitchen preparing food, and, and uh, one of the angels heard her laugh, and she claimed she didn't laugh, but she did. Well, how, how weird or how odd is that? Well, I hope God doesn't come to me and say that about my wife and I. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what a scary thought, huh? <laughs> of course, in the, in the case of Abraham and Sarah was, you know, it was a promise that God would produce through him seed that would become the beginning of the nation of Israel. All right? And of course, as you know, he eventually would have a child by Hagar because it looked like she was getting beyond childbearing age. And how are we going to pull this off? We're gonna to have to help God out, you know? What's his plan? We, they were thinking God doesn't know what he's talking about, so we're gonna help him. Well, that turned out to be quite a failure. But anyways, uh, yeah, 90 and 100. God begat the nation of Israel through Abraham. So, um, referring to God as the one who begat you, I had one more scripture that I'm gonna put up on the screen. Later in Deuteronomy, and this is toward the end of Moses' life, and he's very upset with the children of Israel, and in a rebuke he says, is this the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator? Who made you? Who formed you? He's the one who begat you as a people. He is your father. Well, two of the prophets also talk about God as their father. 
Jeremiah 31, 9, he says, with weeping they will come, and by supplication I will lead them, I will make them walk by streams of waters, on a straight path in which they will not stumble, for I am a father to Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn, and then Isaiah as well. In a prayer, actually, in Isaiah 63, verse 16, he says, you, O Lord, are our father. You're the one who begat us. You're the one who began this great nation, okay? So he does as well. Now, what's interesting to me, as you get to the New Testament, this changes dramatically. I'm gonna put up some numbers here. I mentioned that in the Old Testament, in terms of referring to God as their father, and of course we already talked about four of those I shared with you in terms of where we're going here, um, it's just a, a 15 times. However, when you get to the New Testament, you're gonna find that in the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three, it's used 65 times, and it's over 100 times in John's Gospel, which means it's over 165 times in just four books, compared to 15 times in the entire Old Testament. So you see there's a huge shift in relation to the use of this term as God being our Father. Why does this happen? Well, you could say, yeah, because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and God was his Father, because he was born of the Holy Spirit when she conceived. However, as I was reading at the beginning of the, before I got to the Lord's Prayer, when you pray, go into the inner room, and when you shut the door, your Father. Jesus uses your Father over and over in terms of the Sermon on the Mount. Why does he do that? Well, he says, and I see I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, am I on the right slide? I am. My slides are in a different format, 4.3, rather than the format you use here, which is 9.16. So they're a bit smaller in terms of what I'm seeing on the back wall. Beware of practicing your righteousness before the men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father. When you give alms, go to the next one. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. And I already read the, the, the one next one. When you pray, go in your inner room. And when you shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will repay you. Now, remember something. In Jewish thinking, your father has to do with who begat you. Now, I'm going to go to a passage that really gets at the heart of why I am doing this message this morning. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having an intense, and I'm never sure what to call this. Is this a discussion? Is it an argument? <laughs> if you're familiar with this particular account in John chapter 8, it gets really intense, okay? Well, here's what he says. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you've heard from your father. 
I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. And they said to him, Abraham's our father. Now they're thinking, begetting. They can follow their genealogy back to, yes, Abraham began this nation of the Jews in Israel, okay? And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. As it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You were doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, wait a minute. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. It's always interesting to me what they say there because it seems as though because Mary conceived, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, Joseph struggled with, what do I do with her? Put her away because we have not been married yet and she has a child. How does this happen? And, of course, the angel comes to him in a dream and shares with him that this baby is not because she had sex with some man out there. This is a child that's born in the most unique way possible, the Holy Spirit has enabled her to conceive. And this child shall be called the Son of God. Okay? Yeshua, Jesus, people take away their sins. So, we were not born of fornication. We're Jews. Our Father's God. He's the one who begat us in terms of a nation. And then Jesus says these words. If God were your Father... You would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. In other words, they don't get it, who Jesus is. And this is what he says. You are of your father, who? The devil. Now that's pretty strong language, isn't it? to tell somebody, you're of your father, the devil? <laughs> I always wondered when Peter challenged Jesus, and that was in, in, in Matthew there, where he makes this great, this great, this great um, statement of faith and truth that you are the son of the living God. And then a few sentences later, he says, when Jesus talks about the fact he's gonna go to Jerusalem and be arrested, and tried and put to death, he says, no, that can't happen. And he says, get behind me, who? Satan. I'm thinking, whoa. He said, my father put into your, your, your mind the words that you shared first about the truth of who I am. Satan is the one who put into your mind what you just said to me, that this is not the will of God, this can't happen. So here he says, you are of your father, the, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whatever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So what is Jesus trying to say here to these Pharisees, these people? He's talking about what I call Spiritual begetting, okay? Yeah, God begets, begets you in terms of families. God begets you in terms of a nation, Israel. But there is another kind of begetting 
which is spiritual begetting. John, the disciple who writes in his gospel, he makes a statement here, getting this perfectly. He says in John 1.12, as many as received him referring to Jesus, okay? To them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but of God. Those other kinds of begetting, the will of the flesh, born of blood, that has to do with physical begetting. John is talking about spiritual begetting. As many as would receive, that is, hear what Jesus was saying and take those words in and take them to heart and say, yes, that is truth. That is truth, what he's saying. They're receiving what he has to say. He gave the right to these people to become God's children, even to those who believe, that is, who trust. I've often said this over the years to my congregations, the word for faith and to believe are from the same root in the Greek, okay? <laughs> I could tell you, the, doesn't matter. Anyways, they're from the same root. To trust or to believe is the same idea as, anybody gonna be flying in the next month? Going somewhere over the holidays or the next two months? When you get on that plane to fly to Florida, because I have friends who are going to be doing that, <laughs> to fly to Florida, what is your trust in? You trust in that pilot who is at the controls of that plane to get you to Florida, right? If you did not think he knew what he was doing, would you get on that plane? I wouldn't. When I get on that plane, I'm putting myself in his hands. This is making me think of when I was on the operating table when I was operating table when I was in eighth grade and I had I had a surgery and I thought to myself, that is a very humbling and scary position. Because you realize on that table, your life is in somebody else's hands. Okay? You know, they're gonna give me this anesthesia, and then this guy's gonna work on my body. What if he kills me? <laughs> you know? That's trust, that's what faith is about. So to believe in Jesus is to say, Jesus, I trust you how much? 50%, 75%, no, I trust you 100%. When I stand before God and he asks me, why should I let you into my heaven? I'm gonna say, Jesus, Jesus is the reason. He died on the cross for my sins. I came to him and I confessed that I'm a sinner. I need his forgiveness desperately. And unless I have his forgiveness, I will never get into your heaven. It's through Jesus, through Jesus. 100%, I'm trusting in him, not on my own self. By grace are you saved through Faith, there's that word. It's not of yourselves, it's not of works, lest any person should boast. You know, if it was of works, one person could say to another, you know what, I 
am going to go to heaven because I'm better than you are. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, 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 I haven't lied to anybody. I don't steal from people. And I know you stole from your neighbor down there the other day, or, I, I, you know, whatever. You know, you could say, you come up with these reasons why you should get there and somebody else shouldn't. The scripture says all have sinned. All come short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. There is no one who's going to get there by our good deeds. It's not going to happen that way. Only through Jesus' death on Calvary's cross, through his shed blood. That was done for the forgiveness of sins. That's a whole other sermon. All the sacrificing in the Old Testament all led up to Jesus. Behold the Son of God who takes away, or the Lamb of God, Jesus, uh, the, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. Okay, back, I'm getting off into a sidetrack here. Back to where I was. So, receive him into your life. Trust him 100%. That's how you become a child of God, okay? You remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he really didn't get it in terms of this idea of spiritual begetting. Jesus said, you need to be born again. And he was like, he was only thinking of begetting in terms of the physical, father, mother. How can I go back and start over? I would kill my mother, I can't be born again. Come on, I'm a, I'm a man who's up in years now. Jesus says, no, you don't get it. I'm talking about being born of water and, uh, yeah, what's the other thing? Of water and spirit. It is a spiritual thing. It's like the, the spirit's like the wind. You can't see it, but you can feel the effects thereof. You need to be spiritually begotten of God. Okay, so... If you are born of God and you become his child, you have the right to pray. Children have the right to pray, our Father, because he's the one who begat you. He knows you and you know him. So Jesus begins the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. It speaks of relationship which is really what I want to get across this morning. Relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus, His Son. You see, in the Old Testament, God has seen more of a transcendent power who's out there. He's kind of over everything, but it's kind of distant. In the New Testament, when, you come up, when Jesus comes on the scene, it becomes totally different. It's more personal. He brings the image of God much closer. Yes, he speaks of God as his father, but then he refers to him as your father, our father. Okay? So when we receive him into our lives, place our faith in him, we have the right to pray our father. And I want to say something here in the next few minutes. Christianity is unique amongst all the religions of the world. Check them out. Buddhism does not even believe in a supreme being known as God. Muslims believe in a powerful but unknowable God. New Age believes that we are gods, gods within us. Hindus believe there are millions of gods and goddesses. In all the religions of the world, 
People are trying to attain some kind of reward or better standing through their own works and how they live. That's why in Buddhism and Hinduism, you have reincarnation. The idea is you come back again and again, and when you come back, you want to improve yourself to a point of eventually where you can reach some kind of perfection, a state of nirvana is what it's called. Anyways, and Christianity says, no, no, no. No one can be good enough, no one. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. It's only through the work of what God's son Jesus did at the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins. I see I skipped over one thing I wanted to say. The Muslims, they have five religious duties that they must do if they follow Allah. The sad part is, even though they try to live this life and follow Allah, doing their religious duties, praying so many times a day and so forth, when it comes to the end of their lives, they honestly do not know if they're worthy of getting into God's place of heaven. They don't know. Is God pleased with what they've done? Is he not pleased? Did they not do enough? They're not sure. How sad, how sad. As, as believers, as Christians who trust in God, who receive him and trust him, we can have assurance, assurance that yes, we will enter heaven's gates when that time comes, okay? So whether you're African-American, whether you're Chinese, whether you're Anglo-Saxon American, whether you're European, Australian, doesn't matter, Arab, Jewish, God invites you to a personal relationship with him, to receive him as your savior. For me, that happened at the age of 12 when I was at a camp meeting in Southern Ohio, Memorial Holiness Camp. Out here it would be Roxbury, would be the camp I suppose that you folks might, might go to if you went to a camp meeting during the summer. Yes, receiving Jesus. So, it's through Jesus, we can pray our Father. So my question that I want to leave you with this morning is this one. Do you know God as your heavenly Father? And that's through a personal relationship with Jesus. If you don't know him as your Savior, if you haven't invited him into your life, if you haven't asked him for forgiveness of your sins. Whenever that time comes that God takes you home and you know, people die uh, in auto accidents, which happens so suddenly. I've always said over the years to my congregations, you know, cancer in my, in my thinking in one sense is merciful and I'll tell you why. It gives you time to think about and prepare for the end. The person who's going down the road, in fact, I thought of this this morning. On Christmas Day, 2002, we were on our way from Cleona to Hanover, and we came down 94 past Bermudian Springs High School. There was a young man with his girlfriend who was driving a Chevy, a Chevy Suburban on a snowy day. On Christmas Day, 2002, it had rained, it rained, it had snowed eight inches, and the road wasn't cleaned out here on 94. 
and he went out of control. Fortunately, I had a conversion van, which is also a large vehicle, and he hit me head on, okay? i never forget my wife saying, he's gonna hit us, and I thought, he's starting to swerve, and I thought, no, he's still in his lane. The last thing I remember before it hit us was I saw him broadside in my lane about 50 feet away. And uh, then the next thing was smash. Windows, the, the, window, I heard the crash, I heard in my, I saw it, or heard, I heard and saw it and I went unconscious. When I woke up, there I was with my, it pushed the dash back against my legs and I was pinned in, I could not get out of the vehicle. And uh, all our kids went to the hospital except my wife and I went to the hospital with multiple fractures uh, in my left elbow. You know, <laughs> we could have died. Had we had a smaller car, that Suburban, I think we would have died. Fortunately, I had a big vehicle with that conversion van. Even so, pushed us off the road into the ditch. If that had happened and we would have died and did not know Jesus, there's not time to repent. Today is the day of salvation. I don't know this audience. I trust you're all believers, but I don't know that. You may be here and say, you know, I've never really invited Jesus into my heart. I've never really trusted him for the forgiveness of my sins. I'll never forget Michigan where I live was a farming community. And there was a man whose name was Jim and I felt I needed to go talk to him. He didn't come to our church and I spent 45 minutes trying to convince him. He said he was a good person. Hadn't done any sins. 45 minutes trying to think of things that maybe he did that would have been a sin. And finally, he said, you know what? He was a man who had money. People borrowed from him. And someone had come and borrowed money from him and then weren't repaying him. And they came to him and he said, I got so angry at this person, I hauled off and I slugged him. He said, I shouldn't have done that. That was a sin. We finally had one sin. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> what am I gonna do to convince this man that, you know, he has at least some sins in his life. Two weeks before he died, and he had cancer on his deathbed. And I had visited him several times and he wasn't willing to pray the sinner's prayer. He wasn't willing to receive Jesus. Two weeks before he died, he was lying in bed at that point, could not get up and go around. He had a farmer friend, and he said, this farmer friend in Brown City, he said, I trust him 100% of what he says. And he said, this farmer friend is saying the exact same things you are. So what you're telling me, I believe is the truth. And he said, I need to do that. I want to do that. And we prayed together the sinner's prayer. And he came to know Jesus that morning, two weeks before he passed away. Praise God, I will see him someday in heaven. Jim, Jim Kip. Okay, well, I'm finished this morning. I mentioned to the gal back here that 
you know, your closing hymn is something about come to the altar. And uh, if you don't know Jesus, open your life to him this morning. Open your life to him this morning. Okay? As I read through the Gospels, I find, you know, Jesus, I don't know, necessarily, he didn't give altar calls like we talk about doing in the Brethren of Christ Church, but people came to a point of crossing a line in terms of what he's speaking, Jesus is saying is truth. I need that for my life. I want that for my life. And I trust that what I'm saying this morning is you're hearing as truth. And you say, yes, pastor, I want that for my life too. I would open my heart and my life to receive Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, at this moment, there may be one or more. I don't know this audience at all. But God, you do because you see our hearts. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, oh Lord, my prayer is they will not go into eternity without knowing you. And Lord, Lord, my invitation this morning is they would say yes to you. It's a matter of one's heart and will. You can say yes to Jesus right where you are. You can say, yes, Lord, I invite you into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. In fact, I'm going to have us all pray together the sinner's prayer. And I know that most of us are believers, maybe all of us, I don't know. But if there's anyone here who's not, could this be the time? Would you join me, Lord Jesus? I come to you now. I confess to you that I need you as my Savior. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make me a Christian. I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've done that and were serious about what you prayed, God has done a work in your heart. Absolutely so. Okay, thank you. Come. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being willing to go to the cross. Thank you that there is made a way that we can be children of God, children of our Heavenly Father, 
and we can know you as Savior, Redeemer, and friend. Thank you so very much. Lord Jesus, dismiss us today with your blessing. May we follow you as your disciples. And may you, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, lead us. Lead us as children of our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. We are dismissed.